the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind a show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid I... They knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. here right now this is the two-man power trip of wrestling and you are listening to episode number 381 of the two-man power trip of wrestling podcast if you didn't know by now my name is chad and as always i'm joined by my tag team partner the one and only jp john paz and today on the show we welcome in a man who is known for an amazing nickname and i think when i think of my tag team partner i could throw out this moniker as well mr electricity Steve Regal joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Another one of those rare interviews, another one of those guys that we go out and we look deep into the territories and we find some of the best, and that is Mr. Electricity, Steve Regal, a tried-and-true veteran of professional wrestling, a guy who wrestled in many territories, had a lot of great partners, had a lot of great matches, and we got a lot to learn about in today's interview with Mr. Electricity, Steve Regal. One of those guys who I say, done it all, seen it all, John. So as I welcome you in here now, talk to us a little bit about this interview with Mr. Electricity. Did you feel the electricity pumping through your veins as the telephone was speaking back to you? What was this like to talk to Steve Regal? Oh yeah, the electricity was definitely pumping. He's such an easy guy to talk to. That was the first thing I recognized even when kind of leading up to the interview and talking to him and, and you know, setting up a time and, and all the other, you know, back behind the scenes, backstage, you know, nonsense that goes into actually putting it together and talking to them. I was like, wow, he is really cool, really easy to talk to, really friendly, really relatable. So when we got on the air and he was so open, I was like, wow, this is 
you know, this is easy. One of those interviews, you're just like, man, this is going to come natural. This is going to be very easy. We're going to be able to talk about some stuff that maybe I didn't think we originally were going to get into. So a lot of cool behind-the-scenes stuff, a lot of honesty. Um, he does kind of tell it like it is, and I like the way he has a take on the choreographed wrestling of today. I just totally agree with him on it, and he kind of, I wouldn't say you know, tears it down and rips it or anything, but he was definitely... Uh, negative about kind of choreographing everything and coming off looking fake rather than his day in the golden era everything coming off looking you know a little bit more real a little bit more like a wrestling contest a little bit more like people were trying to win so you get some great stuff there obviously we'll go travel through the territories one of my favorite things to do when we get these old school guys on these guys that have like you said been there done that been everywhere in the business i kind of like you know notch by notch going to the territories, whether it's the AWA, where he had such a long run and such a great run there. You know, the NWA, you go through Georgia, you go through Memphis, you go through Texas and world class. You go to the Pacific Northwest. I mean, you go all the way to all Japan. You go even to the WWF, where he made a brief pit stop. So, I mean, we go into every sort of gamut you can think of we go into every territory we go into the national days we go into the wwf days and we do get some great stuff about his history with hulk hogan which a lot of people may not realize or may not even think of but he's known hulk since the early days of when they both started in the awa in the early 80s and he kind of you know had a great relationship with hulk so we do get some great stories and we get some kind of behind-the-scenes stuff about Vern and the gang that, that you wouldn't normally get from some of our other guests. So, you know, sit back, relax, and enjoy this one because you're going to love Mr. Electricity, Steve Regal. And you look at the, the territory list, like you said, AWA, NWA, Georgia, CWA, World Class, the Pacific Northwest, Mid-Atlantic, All Japan, WWF. And when you look at all those territories, you see all the different opponents and one that stands out to me that I think is really cool is that time in the Pacific Northwest and Stan Stasiak standing out on that list only because when we had Sean Stasiak on, that was the time where Sean really kind of uh, got to see his dad wrestle and got to see him perform was in the Pacific Northwest. So I thought that was pretty cool to kind of call back to an episode from uh, late last year, but the countless tag teams that he was a part of. And it seems like every just big mouth, big time heel that you could possibly find. You could team with Steve Regal, whether it was a Jesse Ventura or a Jimmy Garvin, and you could put them next to him, and these two just wanted, you want to kick their ass. And I think it was a perfect pair. But do you have a uh, a, a preferred tag team partner of Steve Regal when you look at those lists and you look at some of those matches? You know, I, you know thinking about that, I, I kind of don't. It's weird in, in a way. I know, you know it should have an answer for you and say this and that, but I don't know. I, I kind of don't as far, as far as a preferred partner. I just, when I think about him, I kind of just think about that, the run he had and kind of how he was a smaller guy, not necessarily small in the sense, because I know he's six foot and, and you know, he's not under 200 pounds, over 200 pounds, but I always think of him as, as that singles guy who was that small guy in, in a big man's world kind of thing and, and how, you know, he was not necessarily, you know, the biggest guy but somehow can have a great match with anybody. He kind of just work with anybody, whether it be in a tag team or whether it be, you know, in, in an enhancement role, so to speak, or whether it be in AWA where he's having a great main event run. And you might necessarily not think like, oh, this guy might be, you know, too big or this guy might be too small or whatever. You just saw him as a great wrestler. So it's one of those things where you, you kind of you know look back at his career and you think you know maybe you know he he wasn't the biggest guy in the world but you know did he really need to be because he was such a damn good worker it kind of didn't really it didn't really matter so to speak you know the size of the guy even in that big man's world so I always thought of him just as as just a great wrestler overall but since you did ask and since you basically you know. Are forcing me to answer. I got <laughs> to say, because he was World Tag Team Champion with him, I got to say, gorgeous Jimmy Garvin and him, uh, for sure, they were a great team. And gorgeous, uh, gorgeous Jimmy Garvin and him beat the Road Warriors. So I, it was above all else, you got to give it to, especially in that era when nobody beat the Road Warriors. Him and Jimmy Garvin beat the Road Warriors. You got to give it up and got to say that uh, Jimmy Garvin definitely his best tag team partner. 
Awesome. Yeah, and I uh, was watching the enhancement enhancement match from the year afterwards, and somebody pointed out in the comments that one year he's beating the Road Warriors with uh, Jimmy Garvin, and then the next year he's jobbing to the Rougeos, teaming with Jimmy Jack <laughs> Funk. So it's just one of those things in the, in the territory years. You never knew where the guys were going to end up next, and obviously that, uh, that brief stint there in the WWF. It's, uh, it's on YouTube if you want to see it. It's just kind of funny to hear Jesse the Body Ventura calling the action and just seeing him in this enhancement match. But, hey, he works his ass off, and that is for damn sure, just like John worked his ass off in this interview, which you will be hearing in just a matter of moments. But we want to remind you that we got a couple shows headed your way this year, 2019, a big, big year on the convention calendar for a two-man power trip, teaming up with the Captain's Corner for Mark Out at the Meadowlands on April 7, 2019 at the Meadowlands Hotel, the same day of WrestleMania, not very far from where WrestleMania will be taking, fla- taking place at MetLife Stadium. You can head on over to matmcon.com for all the information on the venue and all of the guests that will be in attendance at Mark Out at the Meadowlands, including our headliner, good old JR, Jim Ross, and the theme that fits him like a glove, the Football Meets Wrestling Connection featuring members of the West Texas State football team in Tully Blanchard, Tito Santana, Stan Hansen, as well as The Natural, Butch Reed, Danny Spivey, Scott Putzke, Bob Roop, Allison Kay, not a part of the uh, West Texas team, but just a nice little feature guest we have coming, who's also, uh, she was Sienna in Impact Wrestling. She will be in attendance as well as a lot of the great vendor guests that are all on over at MATMCon. Dot com And then head on over to TMPTofWrestling.com and get the information for the Midnight Express 35th Anniversary Celebration featuring Dennis Condry, Stan Lane, Bobby Eaton, and of course, the one and only James E. Cornette, also the Rock and Roll Express at TMPTCon3, the Midnight Express 35th Anniversary at the Holiday Inn on Commerce Road in Richmond, Virginia. That is May 18th if you are writing it down on your calendar. So a lot going on in our world, but stay tuned for this episode today with Steve Regal. So let's hit you with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to Mr. Electricity, Steve Regal. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Sammartino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, TMPTOfWrestling.com. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, a former AWA Southern Tag Team Champion, a former AWA World Lightweight Champion, a former AWA World Tag Team Champion, you may know him as Mr. Electricity. He is... Steve Regal. Please enjoy. Shut up, Desmond. 
one that's right. on the line right now is a former AWA World Tag Team Champion as well as a former AWA World Lightweight Champion and an AWA Southern Tag Team Champion as well. You may know him as Mr. Electricity. He is Steve Regal. Welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, good. I'm glad to be on your show. I love talking about my business, and you are one of the top guys in it, so I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, high praise. I appreciate that. So basically, you know, with guys like you, such a big name in a certain point of business, we kind of we're always referred to it as, as that golden era, and, you know, we always say wrestling will never be that way again. So what have you been up to? Where has Mr. Electricity been? Well, when I did, I, I wrestled. I started in the early 70s, and I retired actually in 86, 87, but then I wrestled some independent shows up until probably 91 or so. So a, a period of about 20 years I was in the business, but I was, you know, getting 35 years old, and my wife said, if you don't quit now, you're going to be disabled. So, you know, you got to look at that. And, of course, I wanted to go another four or five more years, but in any professional sport, a guy gets 35 to 40, you know, it's, it, your run's just about over. You know what I mean? Your body can't take the damages. And uh, that's what I did, and I was uh, glad I did because I've still got banged up uh, hips and knees and shoulders, but uh, at least I'm physically capable to walk and uh, not disabled yet. <laughs> <laughs> so what are, you, like, what are you up to today? What are you doing? I mean, I, I know a lot of fans, it's almost like, you know, like out of sight, out of mind, but then you get those good hardcore old school fans that always kind of intrigue. Like, where is he? You know, what is he doing? So what are you doing today? I'm retired in Pompano Beach, Florida, and uh, I retired from actual work about a year ago and getting Social Security and Medicare. Thank God for those programs. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, I, I worked here for an auto parts store for probably, oh, 10 or 12 years after we got down here in 97. I uh, worked for General Motors for a little bit, too, and then, uh, thank God, I had a few bucks, and we paid for our condo, and uh, I retired. So, you know, kind of like getting into this crazy world of, of wrestling and, and getting into it, obviously, the, your father-in-law, pretty well-known, uh, big legend, Wolver Snyder, is that kind of how you got into the business? Was it kind of following in, in, in his footsteps, or was it something different? No, no, absolutely. Wilbur has a son named Mike, who's a couple years older than me. And to tell you the whole story of how I got into it, Mike was hauling the wrestling ring for Wilbur and Bruiser up there in their Indiana territory. And he was going on to bigger and better things, and he said, hey, man, you want to haul the ring? I said, sure. So uh, that's how I started back in 1971. I started hauling the ring, and then a couple years later, I started refereeing, and then in about 74, 75, I deduced that, hey, I can do this, you know, and... uh started training, got my brains beat out for a couple of years and went on the road and got some seasoning and bulked up a little bit and the rest is history. So when you are basically training under Wilbur Snyder or you're kind of you know, following his footsteps, so to speak, is he kind of training you all the way along through or, or is it somebody else or is he just no, no, there no. giving you guidance? Wilbur was there giving me, you know, what what I had to do. And, of course, he came and slapped the shit out of me a couple times too. Mm. But uh, <laughs> the, the man who was really involved with my training, the two guys, was Bobby Heenan and Rene Goulet. I don't know if you know him from years oh, ago. Of Sergeant oh, Goulet, yeah. yeah. Yep. And uh, they lived in Indianapolis at the time. And at that time, uh, Bruiser's Territory, they only worked three or four nights a week. So they had plenty of time, and, and Jacques Goulet was a very nice man. I liked him. We liked each other. We played tennis together. And we'd go. I set up a, the ring in an old hot barn there in Indiana and had him and Bobby and John Studd was there at the time, and a couple guys come over, and they just beat the crap out of me until I learned the business, you know. <laughs> it wasn't easy. Great. Yeah. I like that, though. It's like a great old-school kind of thing. You know, yes, really, uh, yeah, and nowadays I guess Vincent's and the training schools or whatever the case may be, but the only issue with that is, you know, we had 20 different territories we could go work and learn the business, and you could, you know, three months here, three months there, three months there, and you get to work with all the other different guys, and in your season, you know, now, uh, you know, it's Vince or uh, the highway, you know, it's, it's, it's too bad because he's got such a monopoly on the business, and I understand it, don't get me wrong, and I, I'm not blaming him, but the bottom line is the old territories like they were, it's not like that anymore. Kind of thinking about it, it's probably not great for the wrestlers. You know, kind of like that old adage, only one place to go or, you know, 
like you said, it, it was better when you get seasoned by, you know, guy over here, then you move to this territory, get a little seasoning. You kind of learn more, right, and, and kind of get right, better that way? Right, right, because our sport, there's only, at the height of our business, there was only probably 500 wrestlers in the United States of America that made their living in professional wrestling. And, you know, we had like 10, 12, 15 territories where you could go to each one and stay for six months a year, whatever the deal is, make your money, learn how to work, learn how to work with everybody, and then go on to another territory. And hopefully somewhere along the way, a promoter liked you or, or wanted to use you good, and you could make your money and start making your money and then go back around again and make the top money, you know, and that's how it worked, you know. Definitely, and I feel like those territory days are, are kind of missed a lot. And people say, oh, you know, it's WB, but it seems like WB is really, you know, this that nowadays a little bit lackluster and, and not really is all that it could be. Do you follow current wrestling at all? Or are you up to date? No, I, I really don't. I'm not up to date on it because, you know, I watched it for uh, a few years and then, you know, as it, it progressed and progressed, I guess, it, geez, I don't know any of these guys, but and so I kind of lost interest. You know, the only guy I know is Hulk Hogan. He is retired, and if he goes back, he's an idiot. But uh, <laughs> he, uh, uh, you know, it's just like... Um, you can't uh, you can't get the training now like you, you you were able to go to a smaller territory for a couple times you know and learn the business now you got to do what they say you do and do what they do and you know I worked for Vince my la- he was the last guy I worked for and I worked for him for 91 days straight this was back in the mid 80s and um, I, I worked for 91 days you know and it wasn't I hardly had time to eat or work out. Because you were traveling all day. I was in Monday at Madison Square Garden, Tuesday in San Francisco, Wednesday in Phoenix, Thursday in Salt Lake City, blah, 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 on like that for 91 days. My God, you have to, you're lucky if you can do your laundry, you know? Crazy. It was, it, was, it was a grind. It really was. And that's when I really decided, and of course, I was up in my mid-30s anyway, so I said, hey, my wife is right. i got to get off the road, you know, try and make a bankroll and go build a home and get a real job, you know? Oh, yeah. And it was crazy that schedule then because they not only did they have an A show, but they had an A show, a B show, right, a C show. Right. I mean, they ran so many shows. Oh yeah, it was crazy, man. I, I just it, it it was brutal. It was brutal on the health, and that's what happened to Jesse Ventura. He ended up getting a blood clot in his leg and ended up announcing, which good for him. God bless him. He can't, he's a great announcer anyway. Jerry Jesse's a great guy, a good friend of mine. But he couldn't continue the wrestling, you know. I mean, it's just uh, too it's too hard on the guys. And that's why we had over 100 deaths in the last 10 to 15 years because, you know, by the time you travel, eat, you, you work out, you, you do some steroids, you do some recreational drugs, you do whatever, you're going to wear your body out and your heart's going to give, you know. That's definitely true. I feel like it was, especially then, it was such a crazy, crazy life. I feel like now they have days off and it's scheduled and they're, they're on the road. I feel like they're at least, putting the impression out that that they're trying to be uh, a little bit easier on these guys. I mean, back in, in your day, like you're saying, you know, you got Hogan going from uh, main event in, in, in New Jersey, and then he's going to re, you know, before that came from the intermission in Boston or something, like, you know, they had some like guys working quite tonight. Oh, yeah, it was crazy, man. And that isn't the way it was, because I got spoiled, because I, I worked for Vern Ganya for quite a bit. Vern and I got along pretty well. And Greg, his son, and uh, you know, Vernon worked you three or four days a week, four at the most, you know. So you had time to be come home and be with your family, even though you had to travel to Salt Lake and Winnipeg and some other towns. But they had a private plane; you'd fly on a private plane and come back the same night. And it wasn't wearing on your body, and you could work out and you could eat, you know. But uh, when you're doing that every night, it's a grind. And I just, after 90 days, I, I, I Western Union Vince, I said, Vince, I'm done. I'm sorry, you killed me. <laughs> I can't go on. <laughs> can't take it, you know. So what did he? What was his kind of response to that? Vince didn't ever like little guys anyway, and I, he knew I was at the tail end of my career, and I was just coming up there to make a bankroll, and he he paid well. Vince pays well. No matter top to bottom, he pays you well. And nowadays, it's astronomical. wasn't like that then, but, you know, five grand a week was fine, and that's, you know, all you can expect uh, of a middle guy like me, and, and I'm, I'm smaller than most of the guys, but I could work with anybody. I could work with a giant, or I could work with a midget, you know, and that's what they look for, but I saw the handwriting on the wall. He was already in the process of taking over all the promotions I had already worked for. And they kind of made some mistakes, which they tried to compete with Vince, tried to team up and compete against Vince. But 
Vince had billions of dollars to spend, and he did it, you know. He changed it from getting paid on the butts in the seat to getting paid by TV advertising, and that, mm-hmm. that was the whole ballgame. It was TV advertising is where the money was, and uh, that's what they did, and by God, he did a hell of a good job of it. He really, I mean, was just ahead of the curve and ahead of those guys. They could do whatever they wanted to do, but he had that in his back pocket. He had the TV. He had the market. Oh, yeah. And he had he the had money, the, the money to get it. Yeah, he had the money to get it, yeah. And and I heard a rumor, and I'm sure it's probably true, he offered all the promoters to buy him out for a couple, three million or something like that, and a few of them took it up and a few of them didn't, but uh, if he didn't take it when he offered it, he was going to run you out, and he did. Exactly. Yep. And obviously, Vern uh, was one of those guys who ended up kind of in 1990, 1991, just closing up shop. And he probably could have sold to a Vince McMahon earlier than than a couple years earlier. Yeah. And I'm sure he was offered. And, you know, Vern, he's kind of stubborn and uh, conceited anyway. But, hey, don't get me wrong. I loved working for him. And I loved that the era I wrestled in from the 70s through the 80s and uh, the late 80s. Uh, that was a better time. They're not. Uh, I look at them now, and they look choreographed. They look uh, stiff. They look. Um, you know, there's no. Some sometimes they don't even grab a wrestling hold. It just it. Uh, and they get the ladders and the cages and all that stuff, which is good. But they're doing it a lot. You know, when that used to be a once a year event, a cage match. You know, and you build up to it. But and nowadays they just you know, fire them out there, and they're going overseas and all that, which. Hey, more power to them, you know. I mean, I'm out of it. You know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to be doing that right now either. Very gimmicky, if you will. Like they they throw out gimmicks, and it doesn't mean anything. Back in the day, like you said, you'd have a cage match, and it really, really meant something. Absolutely, you have a sellout crowd, standing room only. You know, because it was a rare thing. You know, now they're doing all kinds of stuff. You know, ladder matches. Uh, uh, the thing across a cage, a, a, a walkway above the ring, and up on there, you know, stupid stuff that could kill somebody. I mean, put them out of business, and a lot of guys did get hurt on some of those things. I think a Cactus Jack, that guy, he's, I can't believe he's even walking today. You know? He took so many crazy bumps, and especially oh. flying off the cage and everything. Oh, crazy stuff, man. And, you know, great at the time, and I'm sure he. he went through it, but I'm sure he's regretting it now because let me tell you, I only wrestled for about 15 years and I can't even get out of bed in the morning, you know? Hmm. It's ridiculous. And the crazy thing about him was he had so much character and and he was actually a good worker. He didn't really need to do that stuff, but he you know, he did it anyway. He kind of sacrificed yeah, he, his body. And his, he his did. Character. He sacrificed his body and we all do that to a certain extent, but I wasn't willing to you know, jump off the top rope of a cage and hit a table, you know? I just screw that. You know, you got to pay me a lot more money to do that than you're doing now. That is true, and you're right about it being choreographed. It's almost to the point where you know what the guy's going to do before he even does it, and he does it, and you're like, man, what am I watching? Exactly, exactly. There's no spontaneity. That's the problem. You know, and it's like when I used to go out and wrestle uh, 20, 30 minutes, maybe sometimes even an hour, which we did a couple times. Man, you had to just switch it up in the ring. If you were working the guy's head, you stayed on the head and got back to it all the match, you know. If a guy was working on your leg, he'd come after your leg all the time. You'd get away, get away, fight back, fight back, and he'd get back on the leg. They they don't do stuff like that anymore, you know. It's all a bunch what of leapfrogs and somersaults and hmm. pre-planned stuff that, you know, 10-step moves. I want to say, come on, man. It's like a dancing show, you know. Why do you think they sacrificed all that psychology in, in favor? Do you think it, they think the fans just have no attention spans anymore? I mean, it's kind of weird that they all kind of adopted that style of well, psychology. I, I think somebody talked them into doing that and said, like, let me be your writer, let me be your producer. And like Derek Bischoff and some guys like that were successful in certain areas because of the talent they had, not because of what they did. And they thought they could run a show or a territory, and they, they were sorely lacking in the – need in the uh, smarts to run a territory. And that's what killed uh, WCW there at the last. And WCW gave a good run to Vince, and Vince was a little concerned because he thought he was going to really hit the world. And uh, when Vince and the N- or Hulk and the NWO went over to the WCW, they gave Vince a good run for his money there for a few years, and it was touch and go. If um, Ted Turner would have sold out his end, I think probably they still might have been fighting him, you know? 
Oh my God, absolutely! And obviously, there's a the famous thing, 83 weeks that they dominated. It was actually even longer than that. They said Vince was on the heels. It was pretty much over two years. WCW second WWF fast. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And then then they changed it and went back the other way. And then of course Ted sold sold out to Vince, I think, or somebody in that uh, thing. And it all turned around. But and they they gave him a good run for their money. And uh, I was cheering for him because I thought, you know, there should be competition. But now there is no competition. And, and the new independents coming up, God bless them. I hope they make a million bucks. But it's going to be hard to compete with him because of the money he's got, number one. And number two, the TV stations and studios he's got, they're paying big-time money for ads on his show. You know, that's why he made it a PG-rated show. No blood and all that stuff, you know. I mean, he's just uh, the attitude there. That made him a bunch of money. But that wouldn't wouldn't fly nowadays, you know. Oh man, I can just imagine all these um, snowflakes and these PC people going, "Oh no, no, Austin giving somebody the middle finger? That's offensive. I can't." Oh that. yeah, yeah, and driving a truck in and running over the mat ring and all that stuff. Yeah, I did enjoy that. Stone Cold, I enjoyed. Uh, the Rock, I enjoyed. And they were like the Bruiser in our era, or and uh, Nick Bockwinkel, or whatever. They just had, you know, more opportunities to make it even bigger and bigger, you know, driving trucks in and destroying a ring and destroying a limo, all the things they did. That was great. But uh, now it's, uh, I don't know how they can top that. You know what I mean? We were just talking about, you know, leaving the AWA, and I feel like a lot of people don't realize how impactful the AWA was, not just for the fact that, you know, the Hogan's of the world went there and all these other people went there. The fact that, Kenny, you were talking about the Rogue Warriors and how much money and the houses and stuff, do you think that was a, just a huge loss for wrestling that, that the AWA kind of was, was no more? Because it felt like a huge, huge void. It, it did. It did. They were they were the top ones besides the WWF. And, in fact, before Vince Sr. died and Vince took over and wanted to do what he wanted to do, Vern was, I would consider Vern one of the top, Vince right behind him. You know, I mean, it, you're right. It was prestigious uh, territory. It paid well. You didn't, he didn't work your ass off. You know, we had TV one day a week, and we worked three matches, four if it was, you know, a uh, 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 tough week. So you, you got time off to rest and eat and sleep and be with your family. It was a great, it was a great job, great area. That's why I stayed there. I was there for almost five years. So, um, you know, you can't beat that when you're a wrestler. Now, then I go to work for Vince, and I'm in Madison Square Garden on Tuesday, and Wednesday I'm in San Francisco, and Thursday I'm in Phoenix, and Friday I'm in Salt Lake City, and blah, 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 for 91 days, and they like to kill me. <laughs> I don't know how they did it. Do you think that he even kind of, not that he didn't care about the wrestlers, but do you think that he was just like, oh, uh, you know, I'm paying you well, you just show up and work? Do you think he had that kind of mentality? Well, I think Vince Jr. has a, a good work mentality. And, of course, you know, when you can afford all the exotic drugs in the world, you can make yourself look like a Superman like he did or does. As anybody can look like he is if you're doing steroids, and he's doing them tremendously, you know, a lot of them, because he wasn't a big guy to start with. But And he liked to work out, and he liked muscle heads. And that's fine. You know, you can, not everybody can be a muscle head. But he was a he was a 24-7 guy, though, man. He just he lived the business, and... I, you know, I don't know what his health's going to be when he gets a little more older, but uh, I would guarantee you he's not going to make it to 80 or maybe even 75 because of his lifestyle, what he's done with his body. Uh, and he's not taking that many bumps, but he has taken a few, But so he doesn't have as many injuries. But uh, when you start injecting steroids and building up your body like he's done all these years, yeah, you can curl 60 pounds with a dumbbell. Great. What's that going to get you, you know? It's going to get you in the hospital at 65 with a heart attack. Right. And it seems like he may be slipping a little just uh, mentally. You always hear the rumors, dementia and, and, you know, different things that he, he's not quite remembering stuff and he's not quite the guy he was. I mean, he's in his early seventies, but um, like you said, he kind of worked himself to the bone where, uh, where there's no days off and he's, 24/7 yeah, guy. that's going to kill him. It's going to kill him. I guarantee you. If he keeps that up, and I guess I have heard recently, too, that he's slowing down and he's getting a little bit, uh, you know, foggy. But, hey, he should after 40 years of what he's been doing. But he's he's not the type of guy that's going to say, 
here Triple H or here Stephanie or here uh, with his son named Shane, I'm out. I'm done. He's he's not going to do that. He's going to be in control till he dies, and he's going to die. That's my prediction. Vince is going to die of a heart attack some night when uh, the stress is too much. And when you get over 65, I know myself, I'm 67. After 65, the body just deteriorates so much faster. You cannot recover after a workout as fast. I don't do steroids. If I did them, I probably would be better off. But I don't have anybody impressed now, you know. Vince is trying to impress everybody and everything. He's working out like an animal, which that's fine too, but... He's going to uh, work himself to death. Uh, we're going to hear a tragic story. Vincent Man died yesterday of a heart attack at the age of 75, 80, whatever it's going to be. He'll live a little longer because he worked out, but your body can't take that, man. You know, we, we have a, we have over 100 wrestlers that died in the last 10 to 15 years. Kurt Henning, Dusty Rose, Roddy Piper. I mean, boom, 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 maybe the Donuts go on and on and on. All friends of mine, they all between the combination of recreational drugs, steroids, and the grind of the road, and the bumps in the ring, and the traveling, <laughs> yeah, it makes for a young death. It is a tough, tough life. Everyone thinks it's glamorous, but when you're traveling at 2 o'clock in the morning to make a town, I mean, it is not the you know, most glamorous of life, that's for sure. No. And speaking of that, when, we, when I first started the business, everybody rode in a car together in a territory. Now everybody flies their own flight, whatever they do. They, nobody's together. We would travel with some of the veterans in the cars going to the towns, you know, four guys in a car, right? And you'd talk and you'd, you'd learn how to do an interview and, you know, learn techniques from the older guys that were pros and been there a while. And it was a great learning experience in the car. That all went out the window. You bench, you got to fly every day. So you don't have contact with the guys and you don't get to talk with them. And, you know, and that's not a healthy thing either, you know, because sometimes you got to blow off about the boss, you know, say, oh, that asshole didn't pay me last night or whatever, you know, hmm. and, and you can't do it because you're, you're traveling alone. You got to say, okay, I got to get to airport at such and such a time and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it, it, it was just uh, crazy, crazy travel. Do you have a territory that was your favorite? Would it be the AWA as far as, you know, the whole package, traveling? Well, working? the whole package, AWA, is it? yeah, money-wise, travel, that was, the be- that was the absolute best. I would have recommended that to any wrestler, and I recommended it to Hulk, and he got right up there. So I, I know it, 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 it's true. Now, as far as favorite territories, I love Don Owens out in Portland, Oregon. I went out there and worked for him for about a year, a year and a half. I was a Pacific Northwest heavyweight champion and tag team champion there. I loved it because I was home every night. You worked every night, but the furthest town was Seattle, 160 miles away, you know? So you drive to the town, you come back, and you still have time to go to a bar and have a drink and a dinner and come home and still be able to work out in the town because they weren't very far away. That was one of my favorite territories. Memphis, Tennessee was one of my favorite territories. I love Jerry Jarrett. Taught me a lot. Jerry Lawler is a master. All you got to do is watch him and work with him a few matches, and you'll learn a lot about wrestling. And I, I, I love working for Harley Race in Kansas City, St. Louis. Harley was a good friend and taught me a lot. Uh, I mean, I just had some good mentors along the way, especially Nick Bockwinkle also. I patterned my heel right after him because I thought he was the greatest heel ever was. So underrated. Um, just looking at old magazine covers, you know, you always see him, and he just – yeah, he, he stands out. Then, you know, you go back and I watch some of my old tapes and, and you even go on YouTube and stuff. I'm like, man, I feel like he was so underrated. He is one of those guys. You just look at him and you're like, man, that is a world champion. The way he talked, the way he wrestled, the way he moved, yes. the way he looked. Yes. Everything he was was very, very underrated. Yeah. He was very, very uh, professional. Yes, Nick was a professional. And you said you, 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 know, you modeled a lot of stuff after him. He was kind of a, a mentor of yours. Is that something that you know, riding the roads and doing different things. Is that just a good way also to kind of get under the learning tree, drink a beer with these guys and pick their brains? Absolutely. Absolutely. And they'll tell you old stories and they'll say, Hey, next time I saw you do this and I, next time you do that, try this. And they give you a new high spot or a new finish. And you try it the next time you say, Oh man, that's great. You know, I mean, it was that kind of, uh, you know, it's a it, inner interstellar community because there's not that many people out there doing it. And, uh, like I say, you know, you got Hollywood, maybe a thousand, 1500 stars, uh, pro football. You got maybe what, uh, 800 to a thousand. They are actually on the teams and playing football. And of course, all the inner uh, stuff with that referees and, and coaches and so forth. But wrestling was kind of a small ass sport and you had to be very good to get where you needed to go because, 
uh, and Vince has got a school now, but and there were schools out there, don't get me wrong, but it, nobody would grow up and say, gee, I want to be a pro wrestler, unless he was a wrestler or a wrestling fan. And, you know, it just, um, it was a very small, uh, well, uh, tight-knit community at one time, yeah. It's a crazy business when you really, you know, you really think about it. You know, like obviously you, you travel to Japan, you travel to Oregon, then you make your home in Minnesota, then you go to world class. It's, it's almost one of those things where you can't really stay in one place for that long because the money is too good to be made elsewhere and the possibility. Exactly. Yeah. And you went to the possibility. Then when you got to that round, Hopefully you can go back around one more time and make the big money with the big big guys. You know what I mean? I went back mm-hmm. to Portland and wrestled Buddy Rose for you know three months, and we sold the places out. And we did good money, and I made some bucks there. Uh, Memphis, I went back. Uh, Spike Cuban, we were tag champs, and we had a run there with, you know, and that's what you did. You know, um, it would be great if you could grow up in one territory and park it there, but that very rarely happens because. You might uh, work in Minneapolis with somebody and you go to Portland, Oregon, and you work with a guy that works totally different. Or in Japan, they were totally different, you know? And it, it, it just makes you a well-rounded performer. And by the time you learn it all, it's damn near time to get out, you know? <laughs> that is true. You, you almost, uh, you know, you get better with age. You find all this knowledge, but then all of a sudden... I got to retire. You know, I'm, I'm getting too beat up and you know, I'm getting uh, exactly. you know, too old. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's what happened to me and my wife. God bless her. I wanted to go a couple more years. She said, you get off the road or you're going to be disabled. I said, okay. <laughs> she convinced you. She uh, she talked you into it. Yeah, she did. And, and I knew it too because she saw me get out of bed every morning. You know, my back, I've got every disc from one of my backs on my back from top to bottom in my spine. They're supposed to be C-shaped. They're all smashed flat. I got six bulging discs. I got... Uh, Bursitis in my hip sockets. I'm going to have to get hip replacements when I get a little older. Um, shoulders, I've had both shoulders separated, both rotator cuffs torn. Um, it just takes its toll, man. All those bumps and tickles and tackles. Uh, you know, the mat is a, a canvas boat mat with a little three quarter inch foam pad over plywood over uh, two by fours or two by sixes or metal bars that have a cushion in the center that gives when you go down on it, but that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. You know, and then you go over the top of them, you hit the floor, that hurts. I mean, you just, you know, your your adrenaline gets so hyped up that you don't feel the pain till after you're having a few beers in a bar and you get up in the morning and say, oh, my God, what did I do last night? And then you got to go do it again. The life of a wrestler. I mean, it, it is uh, extremely tough. And, you know, as, as we start to wind it down here, I, you know, i got to ask because you were mentioning a couple matches and a couple territories and stuff, but... Do you have some favorite matches just from your whole career that, that kind of stick out above others? Oh, gosh, there's a bunch of them. Um, one with Harley Race when I was a green kid. He led me through the match and made me look like a superstar uh, when I first started the business. Um, all the matches I had with Spike Eber when we were the Young Lions in Indianapolis and, and thereabouts uh, were very good because we worked with Jerry Valiant and Bobby Orton, and they made us look like million dollars. Um, worked with Nick Bockwinkle at one time or another, uh, working with Bobby Heenan. Um, I just had so much talent. Everybody I worked with was great. And, and, you know, once you're in the business and they know, you know what you're doing, it's a tight knit community. You know, you take care of each other. You know, some guys were pricks and that happens, but most of the time, anybody needed help or wanted to know something, you know, we'd tell them or we'd, we'd help them do it. You know, it was, it was a tight knit community because we were, you know, small guys, you know, we were 20, 25 guys out of the state that, you know, had football players, baseball players, basketball players. And, you know, we were the guys they all watched on Saturday night. They didn't watch the football guys. They watched the wrestling. I love that. When you hear the stories of like these famous football players, for instance, or baseball, whoever, they always talk about the heroes being wrestlers or guys they've watched or wrestling. Yeah. yeah, It's true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's showbiz, but it's a lot of physical punishment, man. That's what people don't realize. It looks easy to them, but there's uh, 95% of people out there, even an athlete that had never done wrestling, get in the ring with me for five minutes, and I'll just show you a basic few moves to do, and you won't walk out of the ring. And I won't even touch you. I'm not going to hurt you. I won't even touch you. I'll just show you what you have to do. And once you do that, if you can do that, then you might be able to become a wrestler. But nine times out of ten, people flunk the test. That is uh, for sure. 
just was curious about this. There's always, you know, like you mentioned, some favorite matches, and there's obviously some great opponents in there. I'm always curious about the opponents that maybe not me, myself, but maybe some of the fans haven't heard of or aren't familiar with, or even me, maybe somebody that, you know, you'll say, oh, we, we you know, we were great opponents or we tore it up or, you know, you should watch this guy. Uh, is there anybody kind of under the radar in your career that maybe we haven't mentioned that that's just a great opponent out there? Well, one great opponent was Buck Zumoff. God bless him. I guess he was a child molester or something. He was in jail for life or something when I heard yeah. that. When I heard. Yep. And, uh, you know, I had no idea he was that kind of person because all I knew him was in the ring. But, but we tore the house down many times in the light heavyweight championship matches, you know. And uh, the Road Warriors and me and Jimmy tore the house down. We had Road Warriors and me and Holland Henning tore the house down in Portland with uh, Buddy Rose, single matches for the title. We'd go an hour and tear the house down. It was just, you know, there's too many of them. I mean, I, and I, thank God they got YouTube. There's like 65 of my videos on YouTube, which I can see because I never got to see myself. I was working, you know. I never got to sit on and watch TV in the matches. And uh, it was great. Portland, uh, Oregon, uh, Saturday Night Live, they had a TV, our TV show. Uh, we taped it on Saturday night, and it showed at 11 o'clock. It was the highest rated TV, TV show in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> Amazing. That is great. I got to ask you this. When you're in Portland, what was it like working with a guy like Matt Bourne? Obviously, you guys teamed together, and then they had the feud and the lose-or-leave town match. What was it like working with him? He always seemed like he was a great worker, but he always kind of seemed a little elusive. Like, he, you know, he was going for a little bit in the WBF, and he did some dumb yeah, stuff with that character. That's a problem. that's a problem with Matt. Matt, God bless him, he... Uh, he was a great performer, and I had great matches with him when he was a heel, when he was a big face of my partner. It, it didn't matter whatever one. But there's sometimes he'd go off the deep end. He'd go on a coke binge, or he'd go, you know, out of the loop for a while, and that, that was his problem. He, uh, you know, would not uh, toe the line, you know what I mean, or follow the rules or whatever. It was. He was kind of a, a – thinks he was a rebel, and he just never really got – uh, he, he did well in Portland, don't get me wrong, and I think he went for Vince as Doink the Clown or something, and Jesus, I don't know how he pulled that gimmick off. I wouldn't even want any that, but hmm. he was a great performer and a good amateur wrestler, too. He'd kick your ass in amateur wrestling, so he was uh, a good athlete, good amateur wrestler, and a good pro wrestler, but he had his problems. He uh, he liked drugs, too, and which we all did, but he sometimes overdid them, and you know, when you stay up on cocaine for three days, you can't have too good a match, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's definitely true. And it is crazy yeah. when, you, when you think back about that Doink character, because you're like, on paper, like, this is going to be horrible. And he somehow made it dark and twisted and scary. And, you know, he was a hell of a worker. It worked. Oh, yeah. And Matt was a hell of a worker, no doubt, and one of the best. And uh, I wish him well. I don't know. I don't know if he's still alive. I hope he is. But uh, I know Buddy Rose died. And no, God, Matt a lot of my things died. Yeah. Did he? Yeah, I thought so. I mean, I've had so many friends die. It's crazy. But uh, old Jesse's still going, God bless him, and myself. So uh, two of the old-timers are still alive. Yes. Two of the greats, too. Now, the Mr. Electricity nickname, which is very associated with you, is that something, moniker, that you give yourself? Does Vern give it to you? Did Wilbur Snyder? Where do you get that moniker? Here's, here's how it happened. I was with the Young Lions with Spike as a baby face team for a while. Steve Regal, Young Lions, and Spike right. So I went up to Minneapolis, and that's when I uh, i think I told you they had too many baby faces up there because if I worked at the baby face, I, there wasn't a spot for me. So I said, Vern, I'll be a heel. Let me work with Buck, and I can work in tag teams with anybody as a heel. And I said, oh, yeah, okay, great. So that's what we did. And um, what was your question? I forgot. <laughs> the Basically the origin of Mr. Electricity. Oh, the origin, yeah. And what I did was in, in – uh, when I started doing it, I had my first heel match. I forget it was the, the big, chunky guy that was announcer for Minneapolis. I forget his name, Roger something. He, I had all this sparkly jacket on and everything. And, wow, yeah, Ron Guard, that's it. And he said, oh, that guy looks like Mr. Electricity. And I heard it on the tape. I heard him say it at the table, you know, at the uh, ring when he was announcing. And I said, hey, that's a good stick. So from that point on, I said, hey, let's introduce me like that every night. And, you know, we had the glitter and the glitz, and, you know, I was fast and fast as lightning or, or electricity, and uh, it stuck. Uh, that's how that came about. I love how some of the, you know, old school nicknames come about because 
you know, now you kind of just say, Mr. Electricity, Steve Regal, but you don't even think about where, where did that come from? How did that come from? Yeah, exactly. It was always cool kind of figuring it out and, and learning and how it sometimes yeah. it almost happens by accident. Exactly. And look at Dwayne The Rock Johnson, for example. He was Samoan something, Samoan Joe or something, not Samoan Joe, but, you know, a Samoan kid. And then he did this and he did it. Steve Austin, too. Steve Austin was a baby face in Atlanta. I mean, he, you know, he was uh, stunning Steve Austin. And then all of a sudden, and, you know, you get your personality as you're on the road. That's what I'm saying. That's why I turned heel because I, I liked working heel better because it was easier and you'd get more response from the crowd, especially with a good baby face. And that's why I turned that way. And it just, you go with what you think you are, you know, what you feel you are. And, and Austin and, and The Rock came up with great ideas. I don't know if Vince got that form or they came up with it by themselves. Whoever did it, it worked. And, my God, they tore the house down in the 90s. Absolutely true. And that was definitely a huge period. And, and you're right. I mean, he was Rocky Mike V. He was doing that kind of Samoan gimmick, kind of paying tribute to his grandfather. Right, you know, right. And then, you know, he was able to show some personality and really show himself. So that is great. Do you think that you were more of a, of a natural heel? You like being the heel better? Oh, I like being the heel better, yes. It was easier to do an interview, and it was easier to be a heel because it's easier to pull somebody's hair to get a response out of the crowd or do something dastardly to get them to respond, whereas a, a baby face, you got to have a, make a little comeback and do a couple of drop kicks and, you know, dance up and down and to get the people in there. It's a little easier to do it as a heel because they always want to boo the bad guy. At least they did up until I quit. You know, I mean, everyone wanted to boo the bad guy. And that's why I, I thrived on that because <laughs> I had the other end of it too. I was a baby face. was fighting. We tore the house down many places and, you know, people following us aggression and we couldn't get out of there. But when I was a heel, I could control a match and that's what you want to do. Is there more to it, you know, psychology-wise, when you're a heel? Is, is there something, you know, you're 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 in control of the match, right? But are you are you trying to, you know, basically control the crowd and, and wrestle the match? Like, what is what's the psychology of a heel versus versus the face as far as the in ring? Well, the psychology is to get them to boo you or throw things or stand up in their chair and respond. And it's so much easier to do when you pull a guy's hair or you uh, cheat on him, pull his trunks, and, and the referee doesn't see it. All that It's all psychology. And by the time the match is over, and if you beat that guy, and there are many times I beat Buck and pulled his trunks up to pin him, man, I had to fight my way out of the ring. They were so mad at me because I was, you know, being a heel. And it doesn't take much. It could be a subtle thing. Nick was very subtle with it. He... You know, he he was a great champion, and but he was always heel, and he he'd use heel moves just like everybody else. But people want to hate people more than they like them. You know what I mean? They want to hate the bad guy. <laughs> yes, yes, and sometimes they love to hate the bad guy. Exactly, and then sometimes they love the bad guys. Like when the road war started, everybody thought they were going to be bad guys. But shit, when they played that Iron Maiden song and came back out, that everybody stood up and cheered. Whoever was working with them is going to be the heels. <laughs> <laughs> and and if you think about uh, Steve Austin, it's Uncle Steve Austin, giving people the finger, cheating, you know. Um, oh, yeah. Up in the match. And they I cheered it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they cheered him. Yeah. yeah. He was the anti-heel, and they, they cheered him, yeah. Yeah, that's the one. That's, see, now he got a spot there. Whoever thought of that, I don't know if Vince thought of it or Steve did or whatever. The bottom line was it was a great gimmick. Worked. They made tons of money. Steve Austin's about crippled by now, but God bless him. I'm sure he's doing all right money-wise. Mm-hmm. And Dwayne The Rock, I mean, shit, he gets a $20 million a picture now, so I don't even know why we even step back in the ring. I wouldn't even get Vince a time of day. <laughs> <laughs> he is crazy because there is rumors that he's going to wrestle again this year at WrestleMania. So it's one of the things that's like, really? Like, aren't you making enough money? Like, yeah, he must be so passionate about wrestling that he's looking forward to coming back. He is, and, you know, I don't care who you are, what you have, and I've made a lot of money. I've made not a lot of money, but you can never make enough money. I don't care if you got $20 million, you want more. You know, it just that's just the way it is. And Rock's very competitive, and, my God, you look at him now, you know he's doing steroids. Nobody gets that big naturally. It doesn't happen. So he's at his peak of his career. He's in his early 50s. He's got another 10 years with that body, and then when he turns 60, the joints are going to wear out, and he's not going to be able to do as much, and he'll realize that when he gets my age. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's, 
he's definitely going to realize it. He's a big boy, too, so there's definitely... Yeah, he's a big uh, kid, yeah. And see, I worked with his dad, Rocky Johnson, uh, many years. Rocky and I were oh, good yeah. friends. We traveled together, yeah. So I, I know all about him. I, in fact, I met The Rock, Dwayne, when he was... I was in Hawaii in 85, and Rocky was the booker, and I was sitting at lunch with him and his wife, and uh, and Rocky came to the table. I think he was like 13 or 14 years old, or maybe maybe a little younger, I don't know, but, uh, you know, small, skinny little kid then, you know, and probably doesn't even remember meeting me because we were eating lunch, and hmm. he came by and just said hi, but, uh, yeah, who would have ever thought that kid was going to make uh, billions of dollars in Hollywood? <laughs> You mean you didn't look at him and go, man, this kid one day is going to be the biggest star? No, I looked at him. I thought, well, he might be able to be a wrestler someday. And Rocky Johnson was no, no, uh, no uh, bad hand either. Uh, Rocky's problem was he was bigger than everybody else, and he, he could box and shuffle and do all that uh, the high spots. And nobody was liking him. They didn't. You couldn't book him with somebody that would believe you would believe would could beat him. You know, because he looked so tough and he and he could move and. He's got that muscular body too. Rocky was the first one of the first bodybuilders that uh, you know made it big. Your career, obviously, AWA is, is definitely a huge highlight. The Pacific Northwest is is a big highlight. You did make a you know, but you know, you said ninety ninety one days in the WWF. Do you have any regrets from your time in the business? Don't have any regrets. My only regret is I wouldn't have start. I should have started at a younger age, but. I wasn't even exposed to the business till my brother-in-law started hauling the ring for the promotion in Indianapolis and didn't know anything about wrestling except watching it as a fan, you know. And uh, when Mike offered me the, the ring job, uh, yeah, I'll take it. And then from there on, I was hooked. I said, this is how I want to make my living. Even if I just had to haul the ring and referee every night, I wanted to live like that instead of work eight to five, you know. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, not, not a bad gig. No, not at all. So uh, then, I, of course, I got in the ring, got the shit beat out of me for about a year and trained and did it all and went out and I was a pretty good hand at it. And where I knew I, I could make it was a couple of the old timers, they'd work with me and they'd say, hey, Steve, keep keep training. You're going to be good. You, you, good. you know, you're a good kid. Blah, blah, blah. You, you know, you got the moves right. You got the timing right. And that's all it is. You got to be an athlete, you know. I mean, I played football and wrestled amateur and stuff like that, but... Uh, you got to be an athlete to be in there and, and, you know, do the moves. And don't get me wrong, there's the big guys like Undertaker and stuff. They don't have to worry about doing too many moves, but that's a different gimmick, you know. I mean, most of the time, you got to go out there like the hearts and, uh, you know, wrestle and throw people around and, you know, the Steiner brothers and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you, you got to put a show on and, and take some bumps. And with you and your career, obviously great career, great hand, like you said before, it's an artwork doing what you do where you're able to have a good match with uh, you know, wrestler A versus wrestler B versus wrestler Z. I mean, you can yeah. kind of, you know, whether it's the Road Warriors, whether it's a green Scott Hall, whether it's Kurt Henning, who's got that natural ability, but still a little bit green. You know, what do you say is, is your lasting legacy in the business? What's that stamp? If somebody says, Mr. Electricity, Steve Regal, what is kind of the legacy that you left behind on the business? He was a professional, a true professional. That's all I can say. If they say that about me, then I, I'm I'm okay with that because I was a true professional. I didn't care about who won, who lost. All I cared about was how much money am I going to make? And that's what it's, it's a business, you know? Yeah, there's egos involved. Well, my ego wasn't involved because I knew half the guys could beat the shit out of me in a street fight anyway because they were bigger than me. <laughs> but the bottom line was I'll wrestle them and I'll make them look like I could beat them up and pay me for it. And that's what I did. So, yeah, if somebody says that, Steve, and that's the biggest compliment you can pay a wrestler is he was a true professional. And that's, you know, that's it. That's the peak of our business. Is there anywhere where the fans can reach you, like social media, any of your plugs? Is there anything out there for... Uh... Oh, sure. I, I can give you my Gmail address. I don't mind people emailing me. I get thousands of emails, man. I, in fact, I'm way behind on them, but uh, mm. you can you can uh, email me at Steve Regal, R-E-G-A-L, Steve Regal, R-E-G-A-L, 825 at com. It's fairly simple. And I believe uh, you're pretty um, active on Twitter as well. Yeah, I joined Twitter oh, probably less than a year ago, and shoot, I already got uh, 1,100 followers or something like that. But 
that's a great thing too because I get to see some of the wrestlers and talk with them. I talk with Animal on the <coughs> excuse me on the Twitter, uh, Joe, and see how he's doing. He's doing well up there, starting another promotion, I guess. And uh, you know, it's good to see people. And uh, when you see somebody from the past, you you know go over and follow him and say, "Hey, give me his, give me a tweet, tweet," you know. And it's worked out pretty good because every other day, Jimmy Cornette was one of the first ones I tweeted. And he says, "I don't know, I didn't know you on Twitter." I said, "Yeah, I am. Tweet me a little while, a little bit, you know. Keep me in the loop." Yeah, but it's, uh, I like Twitter because. Yeah, you know, they, they limit the characters, and if you curse or do something uh, outrageous on there, they're going to take you off. So it's kind of, it's a low-key thing. It's not, uh, I'm not knocking anybody or cursing or anything like that. I'm, I'm talking about the good times, you know, with people that want to talk about it, you know. And I've had a lot of girls follow me and say, I'm single. Would you want to say, I'm sorry, girls, I've been married 47 years. <laughs> not, not quite your age. <laughs> and, of course, if they want to follow you on Twitter, it is Steve Regal, a.k.a. Mr. Electricity, and it's at Steve Regal 4, so if people want to follow right. you, I right. suggest that they do. They should definitely follow you on there. Great. Good stuff. All right. And I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight, Mr. Electricity. You are definitely a professional, a great worker, and I definitely suggest any fans out there type in that old name, on YouTube or go to the WWE Network and look at some of that AWA stuff because you don't want to miss out on some Steve Regal gold. Good. I appreciate it, John. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.